When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a very special Friday edition of the podcast. Now, I know we normally put a podcast out on Friday, but you actually got Friday's podcast yesterday on Thursday because we're well aware that there was a Champions League draw for the quarterfinals today and we had several of you requesting that we put a podcast out today for our reaction. And uh, we're always listening to our listeners, so here we are. Uh, it's myself and Ian Duncan is off uh, tending to his ducks. Thanks, Clop Ducks. <laughs> by the pool uh, and uh, so we are here to talk about this draw and what a draw it was let's start with the first aspect of the, the draw which is the sort of section with Spurs v City and Ajax v Juve Spurs v City, Ian, what a draw that's going to be um, you must think that Pep Guardiola will look at that and fancy his chances I'd say so, Johnny, but I'd say that there's um, the caveat you've got to insert there is that Spurs are in a, a fairly kind of tight situation with regards to Champions League qualification for next season. Um, they've got, um, basically, we've got two places for four teams and, um, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal um, are on their tails, as are Manchester United. So um, the sequence of games is, a, is is quite an interesting one for this particular tie because Spurs will play... Manchester City three times in 11 days because on the back of the second leg, they're due to play uh, City again um, at the Etihad Stadium. Um, now, they've already lost to Manchester City 1-0 at home. I say at home, but Wembley um, <clears throat> in the Premier League this season. Um, we know that City are in a duel to the death with uh, uh, Liverpool in terms of the Premier League title. So it's going to be um, something which I think will have to be managed by both clubs and both managers in terms of um, how they uh, decide to put their team out and, and at what level they play. Now, I'm not saying by any means that they're going to play weakened teams because clearly when you reach a Champions League quarterfinal, um, you've got the finish line in sight of, you know, of possibly making it right to the final itself. Um, but what will be interesting is where they both are in terms of their Premier League ambitions at that time. Um, it's also interesting that uh, Tottenham Hotspur are due to open their new stadium two days before, but probably three days it will be a Saturday or something game to put back against Brighton um, before then entertaining Manchester City in the Champions League quarterfinal. Now, what effect that will have, that is really you know, something random because let's face it, you know, Wembley's been their home for the past 18 months, more than that, 19 months. Um, Manchester City very comfortable playing at Wembley. If it indeed is the new stadium against City, then that again will be a factor. To, what a sliding uh, doors moment that could be, Ian. You yeah. know, you've got this new, incredible new stadium by the looks of things and reading what people who have been inside it say. 
And second game there, they have the chance to put a marker down for the future of the club, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely, Johnny. And that that's, again, these are the factors which make it such an interesting tie. Um, I mean, as far as I know, Spurs are fully expecting to take possession of the stadium um, after two safety tests are completed in the next two or three weeks. And then they have a, a, a dress rehearsal, if you like, against Brighton um, as their first game there. So City will have to go into a stadium they've never played at. Um, against what I suspect will be a raucous and absolutely committed crowd for a quarter final, so that will be in itself, um, you know, something to look forward to. But also, as I say, a factor in what the result is over the two legs. Personally, I think City will be too strong. We know, and we've said it so many times in the podcast that. Um, Manchester City's owners are desperate for a Champions League win. Pet's been talking it down and playing it down because he doesn't want to put pressure on his players. And as I said, uh, where they are in the Premier League title race will ha- will dictate as well how they are how they're going to uh, approach the game. But I suspect um, very much that what we'll see is um, the kind of game we saw Liverpool versus City last season at this same juncture um, when Liverpool took City apart. Uh, over two legs um, in the quarterfinals. And what by, what I mean by that is the spectacle, not the result. I think City have learned a lesson about that because Spurs are a different proposition. Uh, they are a counter-attacking team when they want to be, but they will also try and share possession with City. So, yeah, I mean, look, in terms of um, excitement levels, this is, you know, DEFCON 5. Yeah. And one of the things that um, Duncan was saying on the podcast uh, yesterday that I didn't quite buy, not in terms of what Duncan was saying, but from the point of view of Pep Guardiola, is that he thinks the Premier League is more important than the Champions League. I mean, that That's not something that's going to echo in history, is it? A, a second Premier League in a row. In 30 years' time, no one's going to be that impressed by that. What they will look no. at in a manager's CV is his Champions League wins. I, 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 well, yes and no. I think, I think there's something to be said <clears throat> to become only the second manager to defend the Premier League title. Um, after Sir Alex Ferguson uh, and, and Guardiola has kind of intimated that that is his goal this season. However, you've also got to remember that Guardiola hasn't won the Champions League since he was at Barcelona. So already he could, you know, be a manager who wins the Champions League. Well, there's only, I think, four who've done it with two different clubs and certainly one who's done it with three different clubs. So um, he has the opportunity, which he didn't um, take at Bayern Munich. Because people <clears throat> will always say that he won two Champions League because he had the greatest player in the history of the game and two of the greatest midfielders in the history of the game supplying that that top-class player in Lionel Messi. For me, he needs to win another one. (laughs) What he's got now isn't that bad. Um, It's okay, it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) But listen, it's true what you say, but let's let's just for a second look beyond that quarter-final. If City win... They will play Ajax or Juventus. My personal feeling is that Juventus will overcome Ajax. Uh, as much as Ajax were wonderful against Real Madrid, um, those kind of, let's just call them miracle results, tend to happen once in a Champions League campaign <clears throat> for a club like Ajax and the budget they have and everything else. Um, having seen how powerful Juventus were with Cristiano Ronaldo in overcoming well, Atletico Madrid. Um, well, I just that's what I was It's one man's legacy in Pep Guardiola that we're talking about, to another man's legacy, and Cristiano Ronaldo, who will presumably also want to say, well, I've now done it at Real Madrid and Juventus. I am the greatest. And Manchester United, remember? 
Oh yes, of course, yes. He's, he, he won it in 2008 against Chelsea in Moscow. So um, this is a guy who's won five Champions Leagues. Five. Incredible. And, and obviously Cristiano. So, and obviously he's got an old adversary in Pep when he was uh, Barcelona manager. So, yeah, I mean, listen, it's set up beautifully. We can't say anything else. It just looks like a, a divine kind of intervention in terms of the stories, the, uh, the head-to-heads and the one-to-ones that are going to come up uh, and potentially come up. Let's, let's not write off Ajax because they, they are a very talented young team. And obviously you've got um, key players like Finker de Jong and uh, Mat- uh, Mathieu Delit who are, will leave this summer. And their opportunity is to write their name in the history of Ajax as the players who won their first Champions League since 1995. Um, and that legendary team, which produced so many amazing players who went on to win Champions League elsewhere. Um, so look, it's, it's wonderful. But as I said, if, if we're looking at, um, first of all, final draw and then the second round of that draw, I think it's hard to look beyond Manchester City Juventus as the probable outcome um, from those uh, two ties. Just one last point on uh, Ajax against Juventus, and How big an element is pressure? Because we had Monaco um, have a very good run a couple of seasons back, and uh, they weren't under pressure from the last 16 onwards because they were just happy to be there. And that, I think, freed them up. Not only did they have great players, but they didn't have that kind of grinding pressure on them that, say, Man City did when they faced them. Now, Juve are going to be under that same pressure because everyone in Turin is going to expect them not just to beat them, but smash them. And that's unfair because Ajax are a very, very good side and they've shown what they can do against Real Madrid. But that's how uh, Juve fans will see this game. They will see it as a bye to the semi-final, give or take. And it's not going to be like that. How big an impact could that have? It's a very good point, Johnny. Um, Teams who play without fear and pressure, and by that I mean the pressure of expectation that they'll get beyond this tie, are the most dangerous to face. And this is a very talented young Ajax team who, as we've seen in the competition already, play without fear. Um, And you've got a Juventus team who were wonderful against Atletico Madrid in many ways, but with a manager who has got to the verge of winning the Champions League in the last five years and failed either semi-final or final stage. You've also got um, players in that team who felt the um, huge disappointment um, and uh, desperation of having gotten so close and and not succeeded. But I saw something different in Juventus um, just in in the one game against Atletico when uh, Ronaldo scored the hat-trick. They brought in two or three younger players to start. Allegri was very, very clever in um, the way that he set his team up, as he always is. He's tactically probably the, arguably the best coach left in the competition um, in terms of the way he can influence a game from the bench while it's in play. Um, so, I've, I, as I said, um, I've got a feeling that that experience, that Allegri's experience, um, Juve's better quality of players and, and certainly some of the players who are more experienced will be enough to overcome Ajax's youthful um, grace and uh, innovation. So, uh, again, it's, it's a wonderful tie to watch. <clears throat> it will probably be more interesting than Spurs versus Manchester City. And, of course, you know, you're never a fool to predict that kind of thing, especially after the way Liverpool took City apart last season. But, um, yeah, it, uh, it's, it, it's one of those where I think the, um, the determination of Juventus 
um, and also the um, the guile will probably prevail. Um, with regards to Spurs and Man City, it's another Premier League match. Eff- effectively, um, City have had the edge over Spurs in, in recent seasons. And again, um, there are other factors like we spoke about in terms of the Spurs' new stadium, etc. However, I think City versus Juventus from this end of the draw is the most likely outcome. Absolutely. Uh, I have to agree with you there. So let's move on to the other strand of the draw and start off with the tie that Jurgen Klopp, well, he couldn't have really had an easier um, pick really from those those teams. I think that would be the one you would want if you were a Liverpool fan. Uh, they've drawn against Porto. Um, now, I'm not saying that that's an easy tie by, by any manner of means. Porto are a very good side, but they're not quite on the same level as other teams that are uh, floating about this one, are they? True. And obviously, as we uh, broke that news on uh, the Transfer Window podcast regards to Militao, their central defender, um, choosing Real Madrid, um, he's one of their main players. That can go either way. Either his attention is distracted by the fact he's no longer going to be a Porto player next season, or he's more determined um, as a centre-back to try and uh, get the team through as best he can. Interestingly, Liverpool have never lost to Porto in a European competition um, in their history. So history says that Porto should not be a a big problem for Liverpool. One little kind of fly in the ointment though here, Johnny, is the fact that um, at this moment in time, um, and it's very unlikely to to change, Liverpool, who are chasing the Premier League title, remember, are due to play Chelsea away in between the two matches um, against Porto. Given the all we all we know about the history, the longevity of suffering of Liverpool fans to take home, uh, you know, a top flight title, twenty nine years. If you're going to play against what's regarded as the weakest team left in the competition, um, do you risk playing a weakened team against Porto in order to play your strongest team against Chelsea in between? And then, regardless of the result in the first leg you've got the opportunity to play your strongest team in the second leg in order to dispose of Porto, but still get the points away at Stamford Bridge that give you the chance of the Premier League title. That's probably the biggest conundrum left in the Champions League um, draw in terms of the, the, the campaign um, up until this point uh, before the semi-final begin. Because Liverpool fans, I, I believe, um, would rather win the Premier League title than win the Champions League for a sixth time. Don't get me wrong, obviously they want to compete in both. But um, having drawn Porto, Jurgen Klopp's been left with a little bit of a conundrum in terms of his team uh, selection, both for the two Porto legs and the game away at Chelsea. You've been around football for a long, long time. A long, long time, Ian. I'm I'm just brushing my long teeth here. (laughs) Do you get a sense that managers do box clever like that? Or is it a case that they look at every game and take every game as it comes, the old cliche, and they just want to win every oh. game? I, I, I think back to, to you know, here in Scotland when Walter Smith at Rangers was going for four separate trophies and he lost out on two, the two big ones, the league and the UEFA Cup, because I think he didn't rotate the team because he wanted to win all four. Um, so is that kind of a heart ruling the head type thing that goes on here? It all comes down to personalities in terms of um, who's in charge. Look at Sir Alex Ferguson in 1999 when they won their historic treble. Um, he has since explained 
on many occasions um, that he just effectively let the team pick itself, which it did. He um, cut down on training because the players were at such a level of fitness, but also in danger of fatigue that um, it would be unwise of him to um, meddle too much in team selection. And you saw anyone who witnessed that campaign, and I was very lucky to, to be covering it, right up to that uh, incredible uh, Champions League final in the Camp Nou in Barcelona against Bayern Munich. That momentum carried Manchester United over the line, both in the league, the FA Cup, and against Bayern Munich with those two incredible um, added time goals. And of course, there is a connection here. It's 20 years since that um, incredible final in Barcelona. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer scored the winning goal. He's now the manager of Manchester United in the interim, although we obviously expected that to become permanent. And he gets to play against Barcelona in the quarterfinals. So he gets to go to the camp now again, this time as manager, 20 years on, and try and uh, conjure up the kind of, I guess, performance which will allow um, Manchester United, who are only fourth favourites for this competition at the moment, mm -hmm. to overcome again a Barcelona side who ironically, and again this is the great stories, are chasing a treble in, in La Liga um, the Copa del Rey and the Champions League themselves um, so yeah, it's, it, it's just incredible in terms of as I said before, the stories and the head-to-heads and the, you know what we're looking at in terms of the way that things have worked out. So um, Manchester United, um, we've got to uh, also uh, talk about the fact that they are trying to make top four. Um, remember, uh, going mm. back mm. two seasons to um, Jose Mourinho's second season at United, where, unlike Walter Smith, he focused on the Europa League uh, because he saw that as the most credible way and practical way into the Champions League the following season. And he went out and won the Europa League, ironically again, against Ajax. So um, here we have a situation where um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, European Cup winner with Manchester United, is a treble with Manchester United, up against the Barcelona side, who are also going for a treble this season in their um, domestic and European competitions, can, is trying to mastermind a... Let's, it has to be said, they are underdogs United, and it's not often we say that, but has to try and mastermind um, two performances, home and away, uh, against probably the best team in Europe right now. Um, I don't. Well, think I was going to ask you about that, Ian, because you've been across there and you've seen them in the flesh this year. I have, uh, yeah. I get the sense that Barcelona maybe aren't quite as strong as they were under Luis Enrique, for example, certainly not as they were under Guardiola. Um, you know, you look at Dembele, can be a bit flaky. Coutinho hasn't really settled. The one constant has been Lionel Messi, who is just a god and amongst Suarez. footballers. And, and Suarez as well, to be fair. Suarez, Suarez as well, true. Um, but they don't have the same kind of quality in midfield that they've had in years gone by, do they? It's difficult to... Um... Uh, to replace that quality, yes, Iniesta, to be fair, fair point. Fair I'm, point. Not, I'm not sure that that's uh, that's you know you, those players come along once every 20, 30 years. And um, I demand I, heads from their scouting department, Ian. Ed, indeed, indeed, Lamazia, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I get your point. They don't look as invincible. In fact, they had a little wobble, didn't they, um, when they they were um, about three weeks ago going into the the second classic of the season, which they won mm. one nil. Um, in Champions League as well, uh, they hadn't performed um, to their best. But 
what they have over everyone else in this competition is players on the pitch who know what it's like to win the Champions League. Mm. And that is absolutely invaluable. Um, they have it in, in spades, you know, they, and, and as a club, they have it in recent history as well. Um, and there's many people involved at the club who aren't actually on the pitch, but who are in the scouting, sorry, not scouting, but the coaching department, etc., and right down to the kit man and uh, and the people who put the cones and the bibs out who you know people think don't matter that much. Well, they do because they tell stories and they tell stories to the younger players about what it was like to win under Pep or what it was like to win under Luis Enrique. And that motivates players. Um, and I've seen that myself um, in terms of teams who have gone on to win the Champions League. Those things matter. And for Barcelona, they've got that. So we think it's going to be City v Juve and Liverpool versus Barcelona by the sounds of it. But let's just take a bit of fantasy into this for a second, Ian. Let's look at the potential juicy, mouth-watering finals that this draw could give us. <laughs> First one, Manchester City v Manchester United. <laughs> well, do you know what? It's probably beyond everyone's wildest dreams um, at this moment in time. Actually, because of the draw itself, um, it could have been kinder if you wanted to create a Manchester derby in the Champions League final. It could have been kinder if you wanted to create a Manchester United versus Liverpool final in terms of the draw. Um, but as this is probably the least um, predictable Champions League campaign uh, in the last, I don't know, three, four years. Um, because obviously Real Madrid have gone out, Bayern Munich have gone out, Atletico Madrid have gone out, teams who perennially succeed and get to the last four, etc., etc. Um, and obviously four English teams getting to the quarterfinals is um, you know first time in a decade, I think. So um, if you wanted to, you could say that you know that points to the anything can happen scenario. Mm. And obviously, you know, fair game self, football bloody hell, uh, said that. Solskjaer even almost said it after the win against PSG, which was very unexpected in itself. Obviously, Ajax beating Real Madrid, very unexpected. So, yeah, look, it's true. There could be two English teams in the final, or there could, there could, be, it could be a Manchester derby or you know, the North West Classic, Classico, if you want. Barcelona City, Pep versus his childhood idols. Yeah. And that could very easily happen. Yeah, yeah, it could, it could. Uh, I'm inclined, personally, to look at a Barca UV final. I'm sorry to um, everyone who's a fan of the English four English clubs uh, who are left in, but my gut in at this moment in time tells me that the two best teams left in the competition, the teams with the leaders, the teams with the experience, the teams with the history and tradition in this competition. Um, I'm not discounting Liverpool's five, obviously. But in this case, Juventus, the old lady, uh, who has been wonderfully uh, brought back to life. Um, and indeed, in, you know, they've taken the Zimmer away by bringing Cristiano Ronaldo in. Um, and, and Barcelona, who I think can cope with the stress of, of competing on three fronts and have a squad able to do that as well. Can I be contrary? Absolutely. And say, I think Liverpool will take care of Barcelona quite comfortably. And I'll tell you why. Because I think Barcelona's weakness is in their defence. They don't have a lot of pace back there, and uh, especially in the central areas. And for me, on the transition, Liverpool will murder them. And we saw Liverpool last year get to the Champions League final on the back of teams not really picking up on the fact that Liverpool are absolutely deadly 
on the counter-attack. And uh, while teams in the Premier League have picked up on that this year, and certainly in Europe, Barcelona are not a team that's going to change their philosophy to try and stay No, you're correct. Johnny, I take your point. Barcelona are not going to do what Real Madrid did in the final to Liverpool, and that was bully them um, off yeah. the ball um, and try and, uh, and, and su- successful in doing so. Um, so, yeah, for Liverpool, there's a better chance this year. Um, but in doing so, do they face City or Juventus maybe in the final? Um, and again, I think if it was Juventus, then they might get the same treatment as they did against Real Madrid yeah, in the final last season. But um, look, I, you're right. Barcelona versus Liverpool in the semi-final, again, we're, we're speaking here hypothetically, would be an incredible game to watch because both teams like to play quickly on the counter. And Barcelona prefer possession. Liverpool are happy without it. Um, and so... You know, I, I've seen lots of Liverpool versus Barcelona games uh, and I've covered them in my time in journalism. Um, the most famous probably being Liverpool's uh, incredible win, I think, in 2007 UEFA Cup uh, quarter or semi-final when uh, it was 0-0 at Anfield and they went to Camp Nou and won 1-0. And it was um, famously the game that was delayed on television until five past eight so the EastEnders could be broadcast. <laughs> I'm not joking. You couldn't make it up. And um, so, um, but Liverpool were wonderful that night in terms of the way they defended. This is not the same kind of team. It's not a team that will um, try and sort of, you know, allow Barcelona to lay siege to them. Um, instead, they will take the out ball every time they can. And of course, Liverpool's defence has improved immeasurably uh, yeah. since Virgil van Dijk has, has, has come to the club. So, um, yeah, I take your point. Uh, I don't think Barcelona's defence is the best it's ever been. Um, but I do think Barcelona come alive in Champions League games in a way that maybe um, other clubs don't. And I'm not saying Liverpool don't either, but I just think that the complication of competing for the first that Premier League title might be a, a, you know a, a very very major factor in whether or not Liverpool can, can come through. First of all, well, not the tie against Porto, I expect them to win that, but certainly the semi final because it doesn't look at this moment in time, does it, that the the one point separating City and Liverpool is going to become more um, in terms of making either team comfortable uh, in their pursuit of the Premier League title. It does look like it's going to go down the wire. So uh, in that in saying that, you know, again, players' minds, players' hearts, they will look at fixtures and think, and especially as I said, that Chelsea away one in the middle of the two Porto games, which at this moment in time doesn't look that kind of you know distracting. But it, but it might become distracting. Um, and that is a danger for Liverpool in terms of the quarterfinal. Um, but again, um, the semi-final as well. If they do not take care of Porto um, in the first leg and have to be very, very good in the second. OK, we're going to go for a quick, quick fire round. And this is me throwing this on Ian at the last minute. So um, he has to tap into all his reserves of being Mystic McGarry and Mr McBookie, um, which is what we call him in the group chat. Um, so, Ian, so I'm going to give you the tie. You give me the player who you think can have the biggest impact on okay. that tie. Sure. So start off, Spurs v City. Ryan Sterling. He's got everything made for him to, to have a massive impact on that game. Um, and and has played very well against Spurs. Okay, Raheem Sterling. That's uh, that's he's going to be a big factor in the game. Right, next one, Ajax versus Juventus. It's got to be Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously, Johnny. I, you you can't 
you know, pass over him in terms of um, the influence he has. He single-handedly uh, got them through against Atletico Madrid and everyone back in Madrid at the uh, Santiago Bernabeu looked on in tears um, for the fact that they sold them to Juventus. So yeah, Cristiano for um, Juventus. It's actually getting to the stage where we talk about Juventus, Barcelona or European and football, football in general and players. We need to have a sort of caveat that we say we can't talk about these two before <laughs> before we um, mention it because they're just so good even at the age that they're at now, which is going into the, the latter stages of their career, aren't they? Um, right, Liverpool versus Porto. Who's the key player going to be in that matchup? Well, there's a few you could mention, but I think our listeners know that my uh, current bow at Anfield is Saido Mane. He showed it again in the Champions League this week at Bayern Munich, scoring two wonderful goals. And um, he just has the, the, the form at the moment for me and uh, the, the pace and the eye for goal, which last year it was Mo Salah. And Liverpool are lucky this season that with Salah playing slightly less to the um, incredible level that he did last season, that Ma- uh, Manny is taking up um, that mantle and and producing the goals and also assists. So Manny uh, to um, be the most influential against Porto. You know, we like to drill down into the detail, Ian. So I'm just wondering if you think this is a tactical thing because teams are perhaps doubling up on... Uh... Mo Salah. Oh, there. Johnny, Johnny, there's no, no, absolutely no doubt. Look at the evidence. Um, there's every single game Liverpool play. There's, there's at least two and maybe three players trying to thwart Salah. And to be fair to Salah, he still scored. You know, I think 17 Premier League goals and still making assists for other other people, regardless of the fact that he is being closed down. Um, I mean, it's like sometimes it, it's almost unfair the amount of players uh, he, that surround him when he tries to dribble from that right side and into the box. Um, what I think will be interesting is whether Klopp changes uh, the way that things are set up and moves Salah into the more um, pivotal number, false nine, if you want to call that role, uh, to try and get more out of him because it's harder to defend against Salah if he's playing centrally, whereas Manny will naturally play left. problem, of course, is that Firmino um, is not as effective playing wide. So you would have to come up with a different solution to that, maybe Shakiri. But um but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think Salah has been um really, really um targeted both domestically and in Europe after what an amazing season he had last year. Yeah, and that that's given perhaps Manny a bit more space to, yes. to oh, yeah, the devastating performance has. he has. And Manny's pace is what gets him away. And, and, and leaves defenders trailing. Salah has that as well, but Salah's always being marked. Manny's not being man-marked. You know, he'd be Manny-marked. So, uh, <laughs> so, so he's, 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 he's been making use of that and, and, and obviously producing very well on the back of it. And round us off with your player for United versus Barcelona, tantalising tie. So um, it's easy to say Messi on this one, but I'm not going to. Um, not because I don't think he'll be influential. Of course he will. But... Mm. Um, I think Solskjaer has shown himself to be relatively um, good in terms of playing against very uh, skillful players. He did it because um, he saw Mbappe take United apart up front in the first leg uh, against PSG. And then um, what he did was he, he basically closed the space for Mbappe in the second leg uh, in Paris. And Mbappe was not quite... Um, taken out of the game but his chances were limited 
And clearly, you know, they won 3 0 and, and Mbappe didn't have the impact that he'd had at Old Trafford. Um, so, for that reason, I think actually that maybe a player to watch out for is Suarez. Because Suarez, like Manny, can go a bit under the radar um, where Barcelona are concerned. Um, he loved playing against Manchester United as a Liverpool player. He'll be motivated by that as well. He'll get more space because Solskjaer will try and um, obviously limit the space as well as the. Um, the ball control and passing ability of Messi, which I mean, I think will mean Suarez has more of that and will be able to get into goal scoring positions that Messi maybe is blocked out of. And of course, with Messi, you'll always get that round the corner pass or the beautiful slide in that Suarez absolutely thrives on. So I'd say Suarez is maybe the most influential player in that time. Okay, well, thank you for your time today, Mr. McGarry. That's been very illuminating. Hope you've all enjoyed that. It's time to wrap this one up. We're going to be back next week. We're going to be going back to our three podcasts a week. That's four in a week for the last two weeks. I think we're going to settle back down to three, Ian. What about that? You know what? I like the fact that our listeners engage and they ask us if we can do something like this, as we did last week. And, you know, we listen to our, our, our listeners, as it were, and, um, and therefore, if they want something, we'll try and give it to you guys. Um, what I would say is, we've said it before, if you do appreciate that fact, please go onto iTunes, please give us a five-star review, and doing so, we will become um, more available to more listeners in the future. And therefore, when it comes to doing stuff like today, where we give you a fourth pod unexpectedly, then, you know, more people get to listen to it. So, you know, thank you very much for it, to everyone for, for the requests and the questions. But also, just keep us engaged and, uh, and make sure that we get out to as many people as we can. Absolutely. And of course, if you want to continue the debate with us, we're on Twitter. Ian's at GarboSJ. Uh, Duncan is at Duncan Castles, and I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane. We also have our own Transfer Window account at Transfer Podcast. Um, so until Monday, thanks for listening.